0: Legends of the Province House, number two, Edward Randolph's Portrait. From Twice Told Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob The old legendary guest of the Province House abode in my remembrance from midsummer till January. One idle evening last winter, confident that he would be found in the snuggest corner of the bar-room, I resolved to pay him another visit, hoping to deserve well of my country by snatching from oblivion some else unheard-of fact of history. The night was chill and raw, and rendered boisterous by almost a gale of wind which whistled along Washington Street, causing the gaslights to flare and flicker within the lamps as i hurried onward my fancy was busy with a comparison between the present aspect of the street and that which it probably wore when the british governors inhabited the mansion whither i was now going brick edifices in those times were few till a succession of destructive fires had swept and swept again the wooden dwellings and warehouses from the most populous quarters of the town the buildings stood insulated and independent not as now merging their separate existences into connected ranges within a front of tiresome identity but each possessing features of its own as if the owner's individual taste had shaped it and the whole presenting a picturesque irregularity the absence of which is hardly compensated by any beauties of our modern architecture such a scene, dimly vanishing from the eye by the ray of here and there a tallow candle glimmering through the small panes of scattered windows, would form a sombre contrast to the street, as I beheld it, with the gaslights blazing from corner to corner, flaming within the shops, and throwing a noonday brightness through the huge plates of glass but the black lowering sky as i turned my eyes upward wore doubtless the same visage as when it frowned upon the anti-revolutionary new englanders the wintry blast had the same shriek that was familiar to their ears the old south church too still pointed its antique spire into the darkness and was lost between earth and heaven and as i passed its clock which had warned so many generations how transitory was their lifetime spoke heavily and slow the same unregarded moral to myself only seven o'clock thought i my old friend's legends will scarcely kill the hours twixt this and bedtime Passing through the narrow arch I crossed the courtyard, the confined precincts of which were made visible by a lantern over the portal of the province house. On entering the bar-room I found, as I expected, the old tradition-monger seated by a special good fire of anthracite, compelling clouds of smoke from a corpulent cigar. He recognized me with evident pleasure, for my rare properties as a patient listener invariably make me a favorite with elderly gentlemen and ladies of narrative propensities. Drawing a chair to the fire, I desired mine host to favor us with a glass apiece of whiskey-punch, which was speedily prepared, steaming hot, with a slice of lemon at the bottom, a dark red stratum of port wine upon the surface, and a sprinkling of nutmeg strewn all over. As we touched our glasses together, my legendary friend made himself known to me as Mr. Bella Tiffany, and I rejoiced at the oddity of the name, because it gave his image and character a sort of individuality in my conception. The old gentleman's draft acted as a solvent upon his memory, so that it overflowed with tales, traditions, anecdotes of famous dead people, and traits of ancient manners, some of which were childish as a nurse's lullaby, while others might have been worth the notice of the grave historian. Nothing impressed me more than a story of a black mysterious picture which used to hang in one of the chambers in the province house, directly above the room where we were now sitting. The following is as correct a version of the fact as the reader would be likely to obtain from any other source, although, assuredly, it has a tinge of romance approaching to the marvellous in one of the apartments of the province house there was long preserved an ancient picture the frame of which was as black as ebony and the canvas itself so dark with age damp and smoke that not a touch of the painter's art could be discerned time had thrown an impenetrable veil over it and left to tradition and fable and conjecture to say what had once been there portrayed. During the rule of many successive governors it had hung, by prescriptive and undisputed right, over the mantelpiece of the same chamber, and it still kept its place when Lieutenant Governor Hutchinson assumed the administration of the province on the departure of Sir Francis Bernard. The lieutenant-governor sat one afternoon resting his head against the carved back of his stately armchair and gazing up thoughtfully at the void blackness of the picture. It was scarcely a time for such inactive musing when affairs of the deepest moment required the ruler's decision, for within that very hour Hutchinson had received intelligence of the arrival of a British fleet, bringing three regiments from Halifax to overawe the insubordination of the people these troops awaited his permission to occupy the fortress of castle william and the town itself yet instead of affixing his signature to an official order there sat the lieutenant governor so carefully scrutinizing the black waste of canvas that his demeanor attracted the notice of two young persons who attended him one wearing a military dress of buff was his kinsman francis lincoln the provincial captain of castle william The other, who sat on a low stool beside his chair, was Alice Vane, his favorite niece. She was clad entirely in white, a pale ethereal creature, who, though a native of New England, had been educated abroad, and seemed not merely a stranger from another clime, but almost a being from another world. For several years, until left an orphan, she had dwelt with her father in sunny Italy and there had acquired a taste and enthusiasm for sculpture and painting which she found few opportunities of gratifying in the undecorated dwellings of the colonial gentry it was said that the early productions of her own pencil exhibited no inferior genius though perhaps the rude atmosphere of new england had cramped her hand and dimmed the glowing colors of her fancy But observing her uncle's steadfast gaze, which appeared to search through the mist of years to discover the subject of the picture, her curiosity was excited. "'Is it known, my dear uncle,' inquired she, "'what this old picture once represented? Possibly, could it be made visible, it might prove a masterpiece of some great artist. Else why has it so long held such a conspicuous place?' "'As her uncle,' contrary to his usual custom for he was as attentive to all the humours and caprices of alice as if she had been his own best-beloved child did not immediately reply the young captain of castle william took that office upon himself this dark old square of canvas my dear cousin said he has been an heirloom in the province house from time immemorial as to the painter i can tell you nothing but if half of the stories told of it be true not one of the great italian masters has ever produced so marvelous a piece of work as that before you captain lincoln proceeded to relate some of the strange fables and fantasies which as it was impossible to refute them by ocular demonstration had grown to be articles of popular belief in reference to this old picture One of the wildest, and at the same time the most accredited accounts stated it to be an original and authentic portrait of the evil one, taken at a witch-meeting near Salem, and that its strong and terrible resemblance had been confirmed by several of the confessing wizards and witches at their trial in open court. It was likewise affirmed that a familiar spirit or demon abode behind the blackness of the picture. And had shown himself at seasons of public calamity to more than one of the royal governors. Shirley, for instance, had beheld this ominous apparition on the eve of General Abercrombie's shameful and bloody defeat under the walls of Ticonderoga. Many of the servants of the Province House had caught glimpses of a visage frowning down upon them at morning or evening twilight, or in the depths of night while raking up the fire that glimmered on the hearth beneath although if any were bold enough to hold a torch before the picture it would appear as black and undistinguishable as ever the oldest inhabitant of boston recollected that his father in whose days the portrait had not wholly faded out of sight had once looked upon it but would never suffer himself to be questioned as to the face which was there represented in connection with such stories It was remarkable that over the top of the frame there were some ragged remnants of black silk, indicating that a veil had formerly hung down before the picture until the duskiness of time had so effectually concealed it. But, after all, it was the most singular part of the affair that so many of the pompous governors of Massachusetts had allowed the obliterated picture to remain in the state chamber of the province house. Some of these fables are really awful, observed Alice Vane, who had occasionally shuddered as well as smiled while her cousin spoke. It would be almost worth while to wipe away the black surface of the canvas, since the original picture can hardly be so formidable as those which fancy paints instead of it. But would it be possible, inquired her cousin, to restore this dark picture to its pristine hues? Such arts are known in Italy said alice the lieutenant governor had roused himself from his abstracted mood and listened with a smile to the conversation of his young relatives yet his voice had something peculiar in its tones when he undertook the explanation of the mystery i'm sorry alice to destroy your faith in the legends of which you are so fond remarked he but my antiquarian researches have long since made me acquainted with the subject of this picture if picture it can be called which is no more visible nor ever will be than the face of the long-buried man whom it once represented it was the portrait of edward randolph the founder of this house a person famous in the history of new england of that edward randolph exclaimed captain lincoln who obtained the repeal of the first provincial charter under which our forefathers had enjoyed almost democratic privileges he that was styled the arch-enemy of new england and whose memory is still held in detestation as the destroyer of our liberties it was the same randolph answered hutchinson moving uneasily in his chair it was his lot to taste the bitterness of popular odium our annals tell us continued the captain of castle william that the curse of the people followed this randolph where he went and brought evil in all the subsequent events of his life, and that its effect was seen likewise in the manner of his death. They say, too, that the inward misery of that curse worked itself outward and was visible on the wretched man's countenance, making it too horrible to be looked upon. If so, and if this picture truly represented his aspect, it was in mercy that the cloud of blackness has gathered over it. These traditions are folly to one who has proved, as I have, how little of historic truth lies at the bottom," said the lieutenant governor. As regards the life and character of Edward Randolph, too implicit credence has been given to Dr. Cotton Mather, who-I must say it, though some of his blood runs in my veins-has filled our early history with old women's tales as fanciful and extravagant as those of Greece or Rome and yet whispered alice vane may not such fables have a moral and methinks if the visage of this portrait be so dreadful it is not without a curse that it has hung so long in a chamber of the province house when the rulers feel themselves irresponsible it were well that they should be reminded of the awful weight of a people's curse the lieutenant-governor started and gazed for a moment at his niece as if her girlish fantasies had struck upon some feeling in his own breast which all his policy or principles could not entirely subdue he knew indeed that alice in spite of her foreign education retained the native sympathies of a new england girl peace silly child cried he at last more harshly than he had ever before addressed the gentle alice the rebuke of a king is more to be dreaded than the clamor of a wild misguided multitude captain lincoln it is decided the fortress of castle william must be occupied by the royal troops the two remaining regiments shall be billeted in the town or encamped upon the common it is time after years of tumult and almost rebellion that his majesty's government should have a wall of strength about it.' "'Trust, sir, trust yet a while to the loyalty of the people,' said Captain Lincoln, "'nor teach them that they can ever be on other terms with British soldiers than those of brotherhood, as when they fought side by side through the French war. Do not convert the streets of your native town into a camp. Think twice before you give up old Castle William, the key of the province, into other keeping than that of true-born new englanders young man it is decided repeated hutchinson rising from his chair a british officer will be in attendance this evening to receive the necessary instructions for the disposal of the troops your presence also will be required till then farewell with these words the lieutenant-governor hastily left the room while alice and her cousin more slowly followed whispering together and once pausing to glance back at the mysterious picture the captain of castle william fancied that the girl's air and mien were such as might have belonged to one of those spirits of fable fairies or creatures of a more antique mythology who sometimes mingled their agency with mortal affairs half in caprice yet with a sensibility to human weal or woe as he held the door for her to pass alice beckoned to the picture and smiled come forth dark and evil shape cried she it is thine hour In the evening Lieutenant Governor Hutchinson sat in the same chamber where the foregoing scene had occurred, surrounded by several persons whose various interests had summoned them together. There were the selectmen of Boston, plain patriarchal fathers of the people, excellent representatives of the old puritanical founders whose somber strength had stamped so deep an impress upon the New England character. Contrasting with these were one or two members of council, richly dressed in the white wigs the embroidered waistcoats and other magnificence of the time and making a somewhat ostentatious display of courtier-like ceremonial in attendance likewise was a major of the british army awaiting the lieutenant-governor's orders for the landing of the troops which still remained on board the transports The captain of Castle William stood beside Hutchinson's chair with folded arms, glancing rather haughtily at the British officer by whom he was soon to be superseded in his command. On a table in the center of the chamber stood a branched silver candlestick, throwing down the glow of half a dozen wax-lights upon a paper apparently ready for the lieutenant-governor's signature. Partly shrouded in the voluminous folds of one of the window-curtains, which fell from the ceiling to the floor, was seen the white drapery of a lady's robe. It may appear strange that Alice Vane should have been there at such a time, but there was something so childlike, so wayward in her singular character, so apart from ordinary rules, that her presence did not surprise the few who noticed it meantime the chairman of the selectmen was addressing to the lieutenant-governor a long and solemn protest against the reception of the british troops into the town and if your honour concluded this excellent but somewhat prosy old gentleman shall see fit to persist in bringing these mercenary sworders and musketeers into our quiet streets not on our heads be the responsibility think sir while there is yet time that if one drop of blood be shed that blood shall be an eternal stain upon your honour's memory you sir have written with an able pen the deeds of our forefathers the more to be desired is it therefore that you yourself should deserve honorable mention as a true patriot and upright ruler when your own doings shall be written down in history "'I am not insensible, my good sir, to the natural desire to stand well in the annals of my country,' replied Hutchinson, controlling his impatience into courtesy, "'nor know I any better method of attaining that end than by withstanding the merely temporary spirit of mischief which, with your pardon, seems to have infected older men than myself.' "'Would you have me wait till the mob shall sack the province house as they did my private mansion? "'Trust me, sir, the time may come when you will be glad to flee for protection to the king's banner, the raising of which is now so distasteful to you.' "'Yes,' said the British major, who was impatiently expecting the lieutenant-governor's orders, "'the demagogues of this province have raised the devil, and cannot lay them again.' we will exorcise him in god's name and the king's.' "'And if you meddle with the devil, take care of his claws,' answered the captain of Castle William, stirred by the taunt against his countrymen. "'Craving your pardon, young sir,' said the venerable selectman, "'let not an evil spirit into into your words. We will strive against the oppressor with prayer and fasting, as our forefathers would have done.' like them moreover we will submit to whatever lot a wise providence may send us always after our own best exertions to amend it and there peep forth the devil's claws muttered hutchinson who well understood the nature of puritan submission this matter shall be expedited forthwith when there shall be a sentinel at every corner and a court of guard before the town house a loyal gentleman may venture to walk abroad what to me is the outcry of a mob in this remote province of the realm the king is my master and england is my country upheld by their armed strength i set my foot upon the rabble and defy them he snatched a pen and was about to fix his signature to the paper that lay on the table when the captain of castle william placed his hand upon his shoulder The freedom of the action, so contrary to the ceremonious respect which was then considered due to rank and dignity, awakened general surprise, and in none more than in the lieutenant-governor himself. Looking angrily up, he perceived that his young relative was pointing his finger to the opposite wall. Hutchinson's eye followed the signal, and he saw what had hitherto been unobserved that a black silk curtain was suspended before the mysterious picture so as completely to conceal it his thoughts immediately recurred to the scene of the preceding afternoon and in his surprise confused by indistinct emotions yet sensible that his niece must have had an agency in this phenomenon he called loudly upon her alice come hither alice no sooner had he spoken than alice vane glided from her station and pressing one hand across her eyes with the other snatched away the sable curtain that concealed the portrait an exclamation of surprise burst from every beholder but the lieutenant-governor's voice had a tone of horror by heaven said he in a low inward murmur speaking rather to himself than to those around him If the spirit of Edward Randolph were to appear among us from the place of torment, he could not wear more of the terrors of hell upon his face. "'From some wise end,' said the aged selectman, solemnly, "'hath providence scattered away the mist of years that had so long hid this dreadful effigy. Until this hour no living man hath seen what we behold.' Within the antique frame which so recently had enclosed a sable waste of canvas, now appeared a visible picture, still dark indeed in its hues and shadings, but thrown forward in strong relief. It was a half-length figure of a gentleman in a rich but very old-fashioned dress of embroidered velvet, with a broad ruff and a beard, and wearing a hat, the brim of which overshadowed his forehead. Beneath this cloud the eyes had a peculiar glare which was almost lifelike the whole portrait started so distinctly out of the background that it had the effect of a person looking down from the wall at the astonished and awe-stricken spectators the expression of the face if any words can convey an idea of it was that of a wretch, detected in some hideous guilt and exposed to the bitter hatred and laughter and withering scorn of a vast surrounding multitude. There was the struggle of defiance, beaten down and overwhelmed by the crushing weight of ignominy. The torture of the soul had come forth upon the countenance. It seemed as if the picture, while hidden behind the cloud of immemorial years, had been all the time acquiring an intenser depth and darkness of expression, till now it gloomed forth again and threw its evil omen over the present hour. Such, if the wild legend may be credited, was the portrait of Edward Randolph as he appeared when the people's curse had wrought its influence upon his nature. "'Ay, to drive me mad, that awful face!' said Hutchinson, who seemed fascinated by the contemplation of it. "'Be warned, then,' whispered Alice. "'He trampled on a people's rights. Behold his punishment, and avoid a crime like his.' The lieutenant-governor actually trembled for an instant, but exerting his energy, which was not, however, his most characteristic feature, he strove to shake off the spell of Randolph's countenance. Girl, he cried laughing bitterly as he turned to alice have you brought hither your painter's art your italian spirit of intrigue your tricks of stagecraft and thing to influence the counsels of rulers and the affairs of nations by such shallow contrivances see here stay yet a while," said the selectman as hutchinson again snatched the pen for if ever mortal man received a warning from a tormented soul your honor is that man away answered hutchinson fiercely though yonder senseless pictured cried forbear it should not move me casting a scowl of defiance at the pictured face which seemed at that moment to intensify the horror of its miserable and wicked look he scrawled on the paper in characters that betokened it a deed of desperation, the name of Thomas Hutchinson. Then, it is said, he shuddered, as if that signature had granted away his salvation. "'It is done,' said he, and placed his hand upon his brow. "'May heaven forgive the deed,' said the soft, sad accents of Alice Vane, like the voice of a good spirit flitting away when morning came there was a stifled whisper through the household and spreading thence about the town that the dark mysterious picture had started from the wall and spoken face to face with lieutenant governor hutchinson if such a miracle had been wrought however no traces of it remained behind for within the antique frame nothing could be discerned save the impenetrable cloud which had covered the canvas since the memory of man if the figure had indeed stepped forth it had fled back spirit-like at the day dawn and hidden itself behind a century's obscurity the truth probably was that alice vane's secret for restoring the hues of the picture had merely effected a temporary renovation but those who in that brief interval had beheld the awful visage of edward randolph desired no second glance and ever afterward trembled at the recollection of the scene as if an evil spirit had appeared visibly among them and as for hutchinson when far over the ocean his dying hour drew on he gasped for breath and complained that he was choking with the blood of the boston massacre and francis lincoln the former captain of the castle william who was standing at his bedside perceived a likeness in his frenzied look to that of edward randolph did his broken spirit feel at that dread hour the tremendous burden of a people's curse at the conclusion of this miraculous legend i inquired of mine host whether the picture still remained in the chamber over our heads but mr tiffany informed me that it had long since been removed and was supposed to be hidden in some out-of-the-way corner of the new england museum perchance some curious antiquary may light upon it there and with the assistance of mr Howorth, the picture cleaner may supply a not unnecessary proof of the authenticity of the facts here set down during the progress of the story a storm had been gathering abroad and raging and rattling so loudly in the upper regions of the province house that it seemed as if all the old governors and great men were running riot above-stairs while mr bella tiffany babbled of them below in the course of generations when many people have lived and died in an ancient house the whistling of the wind through its crannies and the creaking of its beams and rafters became strangely like the tones of the human voice or thundering laughter or heavy footsteps treading the deserted chambers It is as if the echoes of half a century were revived. Such were the ghostly sounds that roared and murmured in our ears when I took leave of the circle round the fireside of the province house, and, plunging down the doorsteps, fought my way homeward against a drifting snowstorm. End of Edward Randolph's Portrait